Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader Store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Bonus time to Ben Jarowski show. As I speak, it's Thursday, February 17th, 2022. A headline. It just happened to be a headline in today's Sun-Times. Can't believe the coincidence of life sometimes. Uh, here's the headline to give you an idea of what's going on in the world, but it actually applies to the conversation I'm about to have. Headline uh, in the Sun-Times, front page of the Sun-Times. Netflix documentary makes case that Boeing's greed cost hundreds of lives. And it's a review by Richard Roper of a new uh, Netflix documentary uh, that he uh, gave uh, three stars to and urged everybody to watch it. It drops tomorrow, Friday the 18th, and I will definitely watch it. Uh, and I'll probably uh, watch it um, far more enlightened state of mind having... Uh, finish this conversation I'm about to have with my distinguished guests. And so as I do with all guests on the Ben Jarofsky show, I ask my distinguished guest to introduce yourself. So introduce yourself. Hi, everybody. My name is Nadia Milleron, and my daughter was killed by Boeing. My husband, Michael Stumo, is one of the persons featured in that film. And it's super interesting that Ben is saying that's the uh, most important news that is related to what I'm going to talk about today, because actually there's even bigger news. Um, and I'm surprised that didn't make the front page of paper, uh, which is that administrator Steve Dixon is resigning from the FAA today. So the chief of the FAA is resigning. And that is something we have worked very, very hard for many, many months organizing people, organizing crash victim families. And for many reasons, including partially this film that is going to air on Netflix tomorrow, uh, he is stepping down, although his stated reasons are because of family, wanting to attend to his family. But I think he has been under terrible pressure. He has made some serious mistakes, not only in our case, but with 5G and the handling of that. And so I think that this is the result that he's stepping down. And we are ecstatic. Um, 
it is a, a very big win today. All right, uh, Nadia, uh, first of all, thank you for coming on the show. And uh, second of all, uh, let's uh, start at the top with uh, one of the first things you said was that, uh, and I'm paraphrasing from memory, your daughter was killed by Boeing. And um, so why don't you elaborate, give the details uh, behind that assertion? Sure. Um, my daughter was Samia Rose Stumo. She was 24 years old. She was a health policy analyst for an organization funded by the Gates Foundation. Organizations called Thinkwells, and she would go around the world and help people make people-centered policy. So she was an anthropologist, and she cared very much that health policy and health systems address the real needs of people. She got her master's degree from the University of Copenhagen in Denmark, and she was a wonder child. She went to college at the age of 14, and she was only 24 years old, but she had the responsibilities and job of someone in their 30s. She was also a lot of fun, and she knew a lot about whiskey, and when she joined Think well. She organized people once a week, the staff to go out to a whiskey bar and taught them all about those delectable substances. And she traveled around Scotland and many other places around the world. But she just loved to eat and drink and be merry. And she had a spreadsheet for every occasion. So she was a very interesting combination of a person. And um, she was also. My uncle is Ralph Nader, so she is the great niece of Ralph Nader, and she was very close to him in her last dinner, her last meal before her flight on that faded Boeing plane was with my uncle Ralph. Um, so what happened was that Samia got a great job. She went off to Washington on January 7th. That was the last day I saw her. I was trying to stay out of her way because she was adjusting to a new city and a new job. And um, although she wasn't permanently located there, because Thinkwell is a global um, nonprofit, but um, but she was, you know, starting starting her adult life really uh, after moving around to lots of temporary jobs and school. So uh, we have quite a few relatives in Washington area. And I didn't want to interfere because they were always asking her, where are you going? Who are you walking with? How late at night is it? Um, do you have enough to eat? And all these things that relatives say. So I didn't want to pile on. So I didn't see her from January 7th before she took off on the trip on March 9th. And early in the morning on March 10th, my son was feeling sick. Uh, he's he was 19 at the time, and um, he. Uh, I got up, and I just flipped on the BBC. I always listen to the BBC, and even though it was the middle of the night, and they were talking about the crash, and they told the um, time that the flight took off from Addis Ababa, and that six minutes into it, it had fallen out of the sky and into the ground and created this crater, and they didn't know if everybody was killed. And I just started shaking like a leaf. I mean, they didn't mention Samia's name, 
but I had just seen a text from her saying that she had gotten on that plane and she was on her way to Nairobi and she just wanted us to know that in two hours she would be in Nairobi and she would contact us again from there. I couldn't understand. I think it was 8.36 a.m. local time in Ethiopia is when the plane took off and it was Ethiopian Airlines. And I just knew that there are not two flights scheduled to the same destination at the same, leave, you know, taking off at the exact same time. And then I received a call from her boyfriend who was a medical resident in San Francisco. And he said that he saw on Bloomberg News and he had the same thoughts as I did because we knew her itinerary. And so then he contacted her job and indeed she was on the plane. And then our family just all rushed around the house. At our time, this was early in the morning, though we just rushed around grabbing our things and we just got in the car and started driving to JFK Airport. And in the parking lot, we got a, a flight and organized things with her job. And then we got on a flight to Qatar and we didn't know if there were any survivals. And then we stopped in Qatar and we found that no one had survived the crash. And we were just sobbing halfway across the world in a country that we didn't know, waiting for another plane to go to another country we didn't know. And it was just... And the reason I'm here talking to you is I don't want this to happen to anyone else because this was the second crash of a new plane, which is the 737 MAX 8. And the first crash had been in October of 2018 and killed everyone in Indonesia. The plane dove into the ocean. Here, the plane dove into the ground. And this is a, a lemon, so to speak. It's a plane produced in a terrible way under pressure and with shortcuts and with 1,500 engineers fired by Boeing um, to boost their margin and to use the money to buy their own stock, to boost their stock value. And that's why my daughter died, because they cut corners with the plane. They didn't inform people about software they put on the plane to correct it. And they didn't provide adequate training for pilots, given this whole software situation. They didn't even have redundancy. They had one angle of attack sensor feeding data uh, about whether the plane was stalling or not into the software. One. They had one. Airbus has three. Like, how, how can you just have one? Then what happens if it fails? What happens is the plane dives into the earth as directed by the software. And the poor pilots couldn't possibly, one set of pilots lasted 11 minutes in Indonesia. Ours lasted six minutes and 40 seconds. They simply didn't have the strength against the software, against the hydraulics of the plane. But there's a lot more wrong with this plane. That Since the ungrounding, there have been six in-air emergencies and more than 27 other serious problems that happened with the plane. Uh, and these are reported to NASA, and nothing is being done about this by the FAA. And we, we talk to the FAA, we, we try to pressure them to comply with the Aviation Safety Act, but th they are not taking care of this. This plane is still flying, and don't fly on it. And if you uh, look up with this film that Rory Kennedy produced, there are some additional um, things that you could watch. There's this, a, a panel 
if you go to the Sundance website, there was a panel at Sundance and my husband was on the panel and other people featured in the film. And at the end, there were engineers and everything on the panel and pilot. At the end, they said, who of you would, would fly on this plane? And nobody said they would fly on this plane. So it's a new plane, which has a lot of problems and it's got to be corrected. All right. Um, well, what's a follow-up question after all that? Uh, they, um, what was it that actually caused the plane to go down? Uh, you, you offered up that, uh, you alluded to it uh, in that uh, riff that you just went on. I think people may have uh, lost a point. It may have been uh, lost in it. So why don't you go back and center on that? What was it specifically uh, that got forced that plane down in such a way that the pilot could not uh, keep it from crashing? So this plane has a 1967 prototype. Uh, the type certificate from the FAA is from 1967. So they just kept modifying and modifying it. It's very expensive to have, in quotes, a new plane. So instead of uh, designing a new plane, which is coherent, they just kept changing the old type certificate, changing aspects to it, and never going beyond what the regulations require can exist to change an old plane. And, and that's part of the problem here. Um, but so, so they put new engines on this old frame and there's landing gear. So they couldn't put the engines in the proper place. They had to put them forward. So the plane tended to stall. So in order to stop the plane from stalling, they put software that was connected to an angle of attack sensor. So the, so the angle of attack sensor, if it said the plane is stalling, the angle is wrong, uh, then the software would take over and correct the stall. But the angle of attack sensor, there was just one. So as I said before, Airbus has three angle of attack sensors feeding into a similar software system. And so that angle of attack sensor failed. Now, the actual cause of the crash was the failure of the angle of attack sensor. And it was probably an electronic failure. And the weird thing is that no one has gone back. None of these investigations have gone back to the production of the plane. And so why, why did this electronic, there's many failures of this angle of attack sensor on this particular plane. And why is that happening? Nobody did the investigation of it, but anyway, it did fail. And so the software went crazy and, and drove the plane into the ground and into the ocean. So that I, I hope that answers the question. I, I actually do not have the definitive answer yet, but Boeing does. Because after each crash, they ask the manufacturing facility, the factory, to send them all the problems with these particular planes, these models, the, uh, all the problems from production. And so Boeing knows why, exactly why the plane crashed, whereas I just have more of a vague idea. But we need to know because we need to prevent another one. So uh, as we speak... Uh, Nadia, uh, you are in Springfield, Illinois, of all places, far from where the crash happened and far from where you live and far from where your daughter lived. So why are you in Springfield uh, on this very snowy day in February? 
it's a crazy journey that I have gone on. Um, so we sued Boeing and Boeing is located in Chicago. Their headquarters are in Chicago. And so the law that is apparently, although we're contesting this, apparently the law that is governing the whole case is Illinois law. But I don't like that result because Illinois law says you can get punitive damages for wrongful injury, but not wrongful death. And so their corporate criminal law doesn't exist in the United States. All the, all the crimes that corporations are charged with, they set a deal and there's really no consequence for companies, uh, very little consequence. Um, the Trump administration let Boeing off. There's all kinds of shenanigans going on in the Department of Justice. They nominally have tried to bring Boeing to account, but not really. Okay. So we're still pursuing that. But the biggest stick that you can hold over corporations is punitive damages. And you can see that because Boeing has gotten most of the plaintiffs to sign a stipulation. And in the stipulation written several times is, and you will not pursue punitive damages. Well, apparently there are no punitive damages in Illinois, but maybe there are that Boeing knows about and we don't know about, but clearly Boeing is afraid of that. They're willing to trade a lot, not to have punitive damages. And so what I want them to do is face punitive damages and be more safety conscious and tell us what's going on with planes that are having problems right now, the 737 MAX problems that are being reported by pilots, and what are you going to do to fix it? Fix the problems, Boeing, because if you are scared, enough that you might have to pay punitive damages, which are not covered by insurance. So all the com com compensation they have to give these families, that's all covered part of the cost of doing business. But if, if they don't, if they have to just pay it out of their bottom line, then that might affect their behavior. Because really, I am absolutely stumped about what would affect their behavior. They are continuing on exactly like they were before the crashes. All right, and uh, let's help our listeners out a little bit. Explain what punitive damages are as opposed to just to ordinary damages uh, in a civil case like this. So ordinary damages are to compensate. So they are, uh, you know, if you have a breadwinner in the family that was on the plane and, and then the family has no money for rent, for food, for educating the children. And, you know, in Kenya, mo most of the victims were from Kenya, a bunch were from Ethiopia and Canada and then other scattered countries. Few were from the United States. So if, if you have a breadwinner, the, the, the person that caused that death has to compensate the family and that can all come out of their insurance. But punitive damages are meant to punish the company. So it is to deter future conduct and deter other companies from behaving in a reckless manner, which endangers human life. And don't we all want that? I called, um, there's a bunch of people that are opposing our effort in Illinois. So in Illinois, what we're trying to do is put the words punitive damages, which means punishing damages, into the wrongful death statute. 
Right now in Illinois, you have the words punitive damages as regarding injury in the law, but in the wrongful death statute, simply because it's a very old law, it was never put in there. But it's really crazy in Illinois that the courts don't interpret, like death is the worst injury you can have. So really they, they do cover it. And in other states, they have read the law that way because this has happened in many other states. Many other states don't have the words punitive damages in the wrongful death statute because of the age of the law. So Illinois courts have chosen not to interpret it that way. And they have sent it back to the legislature and say, if the legislature really means punishing damages, they better write it into the statute. And so that's what I'm here to do. Get those two words put in to the wrongful death statute to protect lots of people from reckless endangerment of corporations. And who wants that kind of treatment? I mean, nobody does. No human does. You know? So just so I understand this correctly, the law doesn't specify that you can't get punitive damages. It just doesn't mention punitive damages for death. So, and the courts, are you saying, have interpreted that lack of mentioning it as a way (laughs) of saying you can't get it, which you could go either way. If you don't mention it, you could say, well, you can get it. You know, I mean, if I were to judge, I'd say, well, you didn't say you can't get it, so I'm going to let him get it. I mean, that's how I would be if I were a judge. You can see why someone like me would never get on a bend. They'd like, put no, a in New Jersey, they just did that. In many states, the judges think the way you do because it's a very difficult thing to meet this standard for reckless endangerment. You have to have like a plan. You have to have a plan to say, okay, we're going to risk killing these people because we're going to make money. That's basically what you got to do. That's a pretty tough thing to do. And Boeing has done this over many years and it's well documented. There's book, there's a book written about it. There's another book coming out about it. There's films about it. So this isn't really well documented. So this isn't your garden variety negligence. This isn't just looking the other way or making a mistake. This is an organization, a company on purpose, disregarding human life and doing things that will eventually cause death. And the crazy thing is that that's going to kill the company. I think Boeing is a good company and in that it's a a gold star company for what it's done in its history. And I'd like it to survive and produce a good product. And I'd like that all the workers that are there to have their jobs and the executives are killing this company and they're doing it by short shrifting on safety. And if they have one more crash, the company is done. So actually this, this bill, which is putting punitive damages in the wrongful death statute in the place where Boeing lives, Illinois, this is a favor to them. This is tough love. This is saying, you guys clean up your act, comply with the law. Here's a big, heavy penalty, financial penalty. If you don't look at it, Pay attention and clean up your act. And it's not going to affect us. If if nobody does it, then it's going to stay the same. So that's the question I was going to ask. Uh, If you are successful and convince the uh, Illinois uh, legislators uh, to pass this law and the governor to sign it or pass this bill and get the governor to sign it into law, does that impact the case you have against Boeing 
or are you grandfathered or grandmothered out of uh, being the beneficiary of a change in the law? In Illinois, you can't have a retroactive statute. You can't go back in time and say, well, in 2019, we're going to make this statute affect what happened then. So it's impossible. So I, I think uh, even if I wanted that, um, and, you know, all these families have signed this paper. So even if you, I, I, we haven't signed the paper and one other family hasn't signed the paper, but almost all of the families whose relatives were killed in the Boeing crashes have signed it. And so that means that even if we pass the law and even if it was retroactive, it still wouldn't affect them. I see. And when you say sign the paper, uh, help me out. What Which paper are you talking about? Okay. So Boeing offered a, you, you know that the damages in other countries, there's caps on them, even in some U.S. states. So in Canada, you can only get $200,000 for such a terrible thing that happens to your loved one that kills your loved one. The cap is $200,000 in Canada. In UK, it's $100,000. In Kenya, it's $2,000. In Ethiopia, it's $35. So that's a really bad situation for all those foreign plaintiffs. And so Boeing said, well, we will give you Illinois law if you agree, among other things, to not pursue us for punitive damages. So they had to sign away that right so that Boeing would allow them to be compensated by insurance under Illinois law uh, adequately. Wow. Let's just pause to think about that for a moment. Uh, the law, as it's currently written, protects. Boeing from having to pay punitive damages uh, to uh, the relatives of somebody who was killed in a crash, and yet they wanted them they wanted them to sign the document anyway. They wanted them to sign away the right to do something that, uh, according to New Illinois law, they didn't have the right to do. Because I think that maybe there is a pathway, and I think Boeing knows about it. But you know, we have a pathway because my daughter is from Massachusetts. Massachusetts has punitive damages. So my daughter, we are pursuing that. So so if you file a case in the state where your daughter lives, the law, uh, you're hoping that it governs this, this thing in Massachusetts applies as opposed to the law in Illinois where Boeing has its corporate headquarters. Am I correct in understanding no, that? No, 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 no. It's more like... Um, when you look at what someone should be compensated, you look at where they lived. What are the economics where they lived? What could they have expected uh, for their job, for their, for their expenses, for their family? And so anyone who dies in any situation, when you're looking at damages, you look at what they call the law of the domicile. So, and that's how you determine damages. Got it. So, so it's not punitive damage. Again, we're going to compensatory uh, damage. Yeah. And for, in our case, damages. because Massachusetts, when you're looking at damages, then Massachusetts allows punitive damages for wrongful death, not for wrongful injury, yeah. which kind of makes more sense in a way, right? The ultimate, the ultimate injury, they allow it. So, so yeah, so that's why we are a little different. Other, other plaintiffs being from other states or other countries, they don't have those options. But does it, Illinois uh, allows for uh, compensatory damages for wrongful injury, correct? 
Am I correct? Illinois allows for compensatory damages for both death and injury. And that comes out of insurance. So it's not a punishment to Boeing. It's, it's the cost of doing business. So they say, oh, okay, we're insured. So the insurance pays. My question still remains, which we, I will move on from. Nadia, I, I learned to move on for questions for which there are no answers. Why is Boeing asking people to sign away their right for something that they don't have a right to, which is punitive damages? And I'm sure there's some legal explanation that some lawyer for Boeing could explain to me, but you're not a lawyer from Boeing, and so I will just move on. I feel like I'm almost like a like a uh, just talking about law. I just found myself like acting like a lawyer in a show. Um, so, man, this is a really upsetting uh, conversation. Uh, I'm going to do my best, uh, Nadia. Um, so here in Illinois, you're seeking to get the law changed, and it won't affect you, uh, your husband, your family, uh, but it will f- affect other people down the road, and uh, the argument being that it will force uh, Boeing to be more careful. Uh, yeah, that's about... the biggest reason. Mm-hmm. The reason I'm here is to try to prevent a third crash because the biggest incentive that I know that Boeing is uh, careful about is whether these punitive damages are going to be held over their head. And so they will adjust their behavior. If suddenly this law comes into effect, Boeing will do much better. It's going to be so much better than the FAA trying to run after them with limited resources and and not uh, being on top of all the things that are going wrong in Boeing. Them facing these kind of costs, which could put them out of business in another crash, they will pay attention to that. And they will look at their production situation and do much better than they're doing right now. Right now, they're just not even paying attention to the actual problems pilots are having with this plane. And I don't want anyone to be sitting here doing another interview with you in a few years or a few months. I don't want anyone to be in my shoes. And that's what I'm saying to the Illinois representatives that are saying, wait, how is this going to affect people? I'm like, you could be me. Make sure you're not. Absolutely. Um, So, Speaking of which, what kind of reception are you receiving from Illinois' uh, legislators uh, when you bring to them your suggestion uh, about changing the law uh, regarding punitive damages? The sponsor of the bill, LaShawn Ford, is amazing. He is just the most clear-headed, honest person I've met in a long time. He says, Listen to her speak. Listen to what she has to say. Um, you know, he's he is allowing me to try to prevent other people from being in my situation. Some other people are saying, oh, we don't know. We don't know. The stakeholders. I said today to one of the representatives, the stakeholders are human beings, too. By the stakeholders, they mean like um, uh, the the um, people that are against it. So the associations, the business associations that are lined up against this bill. And, you know, the fact is that they're all human beings. They all fly when Boeing has a crash, which probably they, you know, another crash will happen. But the point is 
that it not happen because of production negligence, production problems, like a plan to make it happen, firing 1,500 engineers, no. So it's going to happen again. Let's make sure it doesn't happen for bad reasons and like almost like on purpose. Um, and all these people who I'm talking to, they all fly in airplanes and they all do other things too that they need to be protected. So to, when you talk to them, how have you uh, received an audience uh, with them? You know, it's not that easy to get uh, a state rep to call an ordinary citizen. How do you get your audience with these? Uh, That's why I'm here because it was really crazy being in Massachusetts trying to do this. So I would call offices and I would put an answer, a message on the answering machine. Then I would send an email. The email goes into the black hole. And I just got in my car and drove 15 hours because it was the most frustrating thing trying to do it from a distance. So now I'm here. And when I first got here the first week, only the Senate, the Illinois Senate was in session. They wouldn't let me in the building. And then I talked to the security guard and he said, you have to have an appointment to get in the building. I said, yeah, but they, I don't reach a person. I call the office and I can't reach a person. He's like, don't worry. Next week, the house will be in session and you'll be able to get in the building because they have relaxed, more relaxed rules than the senators. And he was right. On Tuesday, because they only work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, I, I was able to get in. I just walked around the halls. I just went into people's offices. I, I, well, I went up to their assistant that's sitting in front of their office. And I said, this is the bill. This is what I want. Could I have a meeting? And none of them had gotten any of my emails. So I had to go back, send the email again to the, got, getting the assistant's uh, proper email, send it again. So now I've had like three meetings and hopefully next week I'll have more. And I'm just busy kind of running around there setting it up. But it's super, super strenuous. And you know what? There's no food anywhere there. Like the cafeteria is only open till one. And I think it opens late. And nowhere around there is there any food. So I was running from the Stratton office building where all these representatives and their staff, and then I was running across the street to the Capitol and standing by the famous bar, which is like a railing where you wait for representatives. And I had to try to memorize their faces. Okay, what does this one look like? Okay, she's coming out now. All right, I think I'm going to walk over to her and introduce. Now I'm going to walk to the side of her. I'm going to walk to the side of her so she doesn't feel I'm blocking her. Maybe she'll talk to me a little bit as I walk along. Oh, I'm only getting the staff member. Okay, staff member, can I send you this email that you never got? And yeah, so by the end of the second day, which was yesterday, I was just wiped out. And I came up with an idea. What if we had a food truck and I just sat myself out in the courtyard and stayed in the food truck? Everyone could come to me and then I could have all the information about the bill all over the food truck and I wouldn't get hungry and all the people would be happy to talk to me because they could get something to eat. So this is my idea. I actually think I'm going to make this happen because there's a young man who has this, um, he's got a food truck. I just got his name. He's an amazing fellow. He has this he has this food truck that he uses for political organizing. And the fellow's name is Sean Kenner. And he's a he's a activist who goes out to different places with this food truck and he highlights issues with it. You know, he covers the food truck with information or, you know, uh and then, you know, people can come and buy food too. So it's a big attraction. So, well, uh, that's a great idea. I will say this: I'm going to uh, amend uh, what 
what you had to say, get your response. Uh, you, you drive up with a food truck uh, and information about your bill. I'm not quite sure people will be happy to see you. They may be happy to eat the food, but they're looking at you. And when they see you, they feel, I know I could just imagine what they feel. They feel, well, I really feel sorry uh, for Nadia for the loss of her daughter. On the other hand, she's up against this hugely powerful interest in the state of Illinois who has all these lobbyists. And I can assure you that they, by the way, Nadia, don't have any difficulty getting access to any of these reps. Uh, that's what their lobbyists get them. Uh, and there'll be, so you present a challenge to them because they were, as much as they want, may want to do the right thing, you're up against a pretty powerful entity. If you follow what I'm saying. And sometimes you can't do the right thing all the time. Got to make cut like a cut a path away from the right thing. So that's my okay, way. So of you're saying. you're a, you're making a choice as such a representative that that you're talking about. You're making a choice. Do I want funding for my campaign, or do I want to have myself or someone I know die on an airplane? It's a pretty easy choice. We passed the Aviation Safety Act in December 2020, which is a really contentious time in Washington, unanimously. Republicans and Democrats, no Boeing got in there to, to block this. Everybody was clear. The thing that my task here in Illinois is to make sure people understand the connection, that if you have a punishment, it's going to correct the behavior of the company. And, that, and money is the only thing that's going to correct the behavior because, in fact, money is the thing that has made this behavior awful, right? Wanting to set, buy their stocks, their own stocks, do the stock buyback, boost, boost the price, that has caused them to short shrift production and short shrift on engineering. And workers are working two weeks straight on this plane. Okay, the 737 MAX, as well as all other Boeing planes, they're not put together by robots. They're put together by human beings. And if you work two weeks straight, you're going to be beat. You might be sick. And so then your coworker who did your job two years ago or a year ago, they fill in for you and they're going to make mistakes. So Boeing is doing these type of behaviors, uh, short shrifting on the worker. And what's happening is that they're producing a shoddy product. So we have to say to them, okay, you produce a shoddy product and you kill people. It's going to be more expensive for you than this whole shenanigans of boosting your stock price. And that's the only language they understand. So by doing this, we can save people's lives. You know, so I think if we make that connection for people, then, you know, this bill is going to pass. The Illinois trial lawyers are for it anyway. Yeah, no, I, I, I imagine they uh, would be for that. Uh, all right. Uh, LaShawn Ford, State Representative LaShawn Ford from Chicago, uh, guest on this show more than once. Uh, and maybe even a p possible mayoral candidate. He's thinking about that, I know, uh, for the upcoming 2023 election. He supports you in the House. So that's. Uh, an important ally to have. Uh, do you have a Senate sponsor to this? Bill? No, we don't have a Senate sponsor yet, but um, we have these uh, powerful trial lawyers that are looking for a Senate sponsor. So. Okay. Um, and uh, yes, you need a Senate sponsor. And has uh, Governor Pritzker indicated one way or another uh, support for he, this? He has indicated that he doesn't want any controversial bills before the primary. Um, so... Anyway, the bill doesn't have a pathway to success before the primary. 
So, but, but that's what he's indicated. But this is a very crazy situation that I'm discovering in Illinois, where you have all these representatives that say, oh, we're not going to do our job as representatives. We're not going to do what the people need or attend to bills that are important. We're going to just lay off until the election. And they freely say this. And they think this is normal and they think this is an okay way to behave. Look, you're a legislator not to be doing your campaign when you're supposed to be doing bills. You're a legislator to do the proper bills for your constituents, right? It's so obvious. But for some reason, the culture here is really alarming. I can't believe these people just say this to my face. They say it in public. Yeah. I'm not here. Welcome to the state of Illinois. Welcome to the city of Chicago. You there in Springfield. This is what I've been confronting my whole life here on anything. Uh, ben, you know, I really agree with you, but come on, there's an election coming up. When the election's over, and then you know what happens? When that election's over, there's another election. It's like That's they what say, I like oh. about LaShawn Ford. He's just like, what is this? Let's just do the, do the right thing. Keep doing the right thing. And no matter what it is. I mean, that's a crazy way to act, but I am learning this Illinois speak, but I refuse to speak it. Good for you. By the way, uh, my guess is it's not the primary election that J.B. Pritzker is worried about. He's unopposed in the primary election. It's the general election uh, that's coming up in November, and he'll be running against a very well-financed candidate as very powerful interests in the state of Illinois have have vowed to do what it takes to defeat uh, Governor Pritzker, and I can almost bet you anything. I would just, I know the powerful interests uh, that are lined up to defeat J.B. Uh, Pritzker would be overwhelming. My guess is overwhelming against your bill uh, because they would see it somehow or other as an intrusion on the marketplace. Uh, so if people want to know uh, more about your uh, legislation that you're proposing, uh, is there anything, any? Any uh, internet site you could direct them to, uh, any uh, or you just give us the number of the bill so they can follow its progress, and maybe even if they want to make a phone call to their state rep. Yeah, uh, people so. can have a huge impact here um, if they do this to today or tomorrow. There's a thing called a witness slip for this bill, and the bill number is four nine six eight. And if they go to the ILGA website, there is a place on there called a, a, a witness slip. And they can put in the number of that bill and they can register themselves as being a supporter of the bill. Yeah, and House that bill will have a big impact. Yeah. House bill 4968. Yeah. And so that will have a big impact because they, they look at your zip code, the information you put in there, and then the representative, your representative will feel that. And the second thing you can do is call your representative and inform your senator that there is this House bill out there and you support it. And it just makes sense, right? It's basically um, correcting the law or uh, stating what the law should be right now um, if Ben was the judge, right? Um, (laughs) So so I I think people can make a huge impact on this. And I really encourage you to, to make the effort. Because I have no organization, I have no website, I have nothing. I'm just me here saying, you know, let's organize ourselves better so business behaves responsibly. All right, very good. Uh, Nadia, thank you so much for taking the time. And yes, if I were the judge, I'd say, come on, doesn't say you can't do it, so let's do it. Let's go. 
Let's get this you case gotta going. Appoint you, Ben. You got to be the man. <laughs> I went to law school, but I've read a lot of legal novels and I've watched a lot of TV shows. I think uh, you'd be great. <laughs> thank you very much, Nadia. And uh, thanks for coming on. And I really uh, respect what you're doing. So best of luck to you. All right. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Nadia Milleron is my guest. I want to thank her very much. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. 